1: I'm Lori Gottlieb. I'm the author of Maybe You Should Talk to Someone, and I write the Dear Therapist Advice column for The Atlantic.
2: And I'm Guy Winch. I'm the author of Emotional First Aid, and I write the Dear Guy Advice column for TED. And this is Dear Therapists.
1: Each week, we invite you into a real session where we help people confront their biggest problems and then give them actionable advice and hear about the changes they've made in their lives.
2: So sit back and welcome to today's session. This week, we're in session with Jordan, who wants to understand how seeing his parents' dysfunctional relationship as a child might have contributed to his own marriage ending after only two years.
3: There were red flags that I I ignored. Here's this beautiful woman that I get along with extremely well, and we just seem perfect for each other. And we moved in with each other, and it was within a couple months I started to realize, wait a second, this just doesn't seem normal.
1: First, a quick note. Dear Therapist is for informational purposes only. It does not constitute medical or psychological advice and is not a substitute for professional healthcare advice, diagnosis, or treatment. By submitting a letter, you are agreeing to let iHeartMedia use it in part or in full, and we may edit it for length and clarity. In the sessions you'll hear, all names have been changed for the privacy of our guests. Hey, Lori. Hey, Guy.
2: So who have we invited to speak with us today?
1: So, today we have someone who is trying to figure out why his marriage failed. And it goes like this Dear therapist, I came across your response to a letter regarding someone who became a parentified child, and it completely resonated with me. I am at the beginning stages of understanding what went wrong with my marriage and the root causes of it failing. My partner has experienced her own trauma. But I'm now starting to look in the mirror and would like to understand what my parents' toxic, resentful, and abusive relationship has done to myself and my brothers. I hope you can help. Jordan.
2: I'm always glad to hear that people are curious about what's going on in their relationships and what's the legacy of their childhood that they're carrying with them. And Jordan is clearly curious. It's one of those better late than never situations because the marriage is now over. But I hope we'll be able to help him take some lessons into his next relationship.
1: Yeah, I think when marriages don't work, the tendency can be to blame the other person. And I like here he's saying, yeah, my partner had some issues, but I really want to look at my issues and figure out my role in this. So let's go talk to him and see what we can help him with. You're listening to Dear Therapist from iHeartRadio. We'll be back after a short break.
4: With BetterHelp, visit BetterHelp.com slash DearTherapist today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, hel dot com DearTherapists.
0: Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. I'm Lori Gottlieb.
2: And I'm Guy Winch. And this is Dear Therapists. Hi, Jordan. Hi, Lori. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, you guys. I appreciate it. You're very welcome. Jordan, we wanted to hear a little bit about your marriage, how you met, how it went, what went wrong, so we can get a sense of what happened there.
3: Yeah, my ex-wife and I met actually on Zoom because we both work for a school. Me being a teacher, her being a teaching assistant for a different class, and we met over COVID. We just started talking and we got close very, very fast. We got married for religious reasons, so she and her daughter could move in with me. So we kind of expedited things. I I could go as far as saying it, it was rushed in some regards, but that is how we met and were close to each other.
1: And can I ask just for context, how old are both of you and how old is her daughter?
3: I am 33. She is 31 and her daughter is five.
1: So this was a relatively short marriage. And I'm wondering at what point things started to not seem as great as they had been at the beginning.
3: Yeah, you know, Lori, looking back on things, there were red flags that I I ignored because not to give you a full, full backstory, if I can really quick, but leading up to meeting her, I had lost 145 pounds and I was sky high as far as my confidence and just ability to approach her. So I think she got that confidence from me and it was you know, attractive to her and everything like that. But Once we started to get to know each other even more, some of the deeper, deeper deeper-seated family things with her started to come out. And I was blind to it because I'm like, here's this beautiful woman that I get along with extremely well, and we just seem perfect for each other. And we moved in with each other, and it was within a couple months I started to realize, wait a second, this just doesn't seem normal.
1: What were some of the red flags that you noticed before she moved in?
3: One of the first things she told me is that she she said it in a joking way. She said I have daddy issues. So along with saying that she would talk about men quite a bit and get pretty specific about it. And she told me this is three weeks into talking that I was the first man that that she's only speaking with me that she, in the past, had spoken to four, five, six men at a time. She was just getting through her previous divorce. So that was a big red flag that she wasn't telling me too many specifics about why she got her first divorce to begin with. And she would speak about men and sexual encounters with men quite frequently. Even someone that we used to work with, this man who didn't know anything about me, he kept messaging her. And then she would say, I don't want to get fired if I tell him to stop talking to me. I said, well, if you're not welcoming those messages, you can tell him that. And she didn't for a while. And that always felt a little uneasy for me, too. It's you could put a stop to that if you want to. You know,
2: Jordan, you're saying that she would tell you about sexual encounters with other men. There's a coworker who's texting her repeatedly and she doesn't want to tell them to stop. How did you feel? about her telling you these stories about sexual encounters? Did it make you uncomfortable and did you let her know if it did?
3: Yeah, it made me very uncomfortable. And I did tell her and honestly, she played it off as disclosing all this information to me as a good thing. Like I'm open to telling you all these things. I'm open to sharing all these things with you. Like, oh, I should feel good about it. And I told her I would like you to put a stop to that. And she always had a way of still making me feel okay about it at the beginning until things just started to kind of spiral downward.
1: How did she make you feel okay about it? Because you chose to move in together. So all this was going on. You felt uncomfortable. She wasn't really respecting your request to monitor some of these things that maybe were not appropriate to share with you. And you decided to move in together. What was happening that made you feel like, oh, well, that's okay. I don't really have to pay too much attention to these things that make me uncomfortable
3: it was interesting. She would almost brag about, you know, oh, these men messaging her. And then she would show me like, see, I blocked him right away. And she said, I never have done this before. Anytime I've ever spoken to a man, I'm always speaking to another man, even in her previous marriage. That's another red flag is that she confessed to me that she cheated on her ex-husband several times.
1: What I'm asking is, given all of the red flags, what made you feel comfortable enough to move in with her?
3: I guess as time went on, we went a few months of not having any incidents like that. I want companionship. I want love. I showed her and her daughter tremendous love and care and support. And I think it was a classic case of just ignoring some of those things and just wanting it, almost trying to force it and manifest that companionship and partnership that I've always wanted.
1: Jordan, you said that right before this, you had lost 140 pounds. What was your romantic life like before you met your ex-wife and was it affected by your weight?
3: Yeah, so this... Is much deeper rooted. I clearly have an unhealthy relationship with food. I was bigger my whole life. In 2009 to 2011, I lost 155 pounds then. And I moved to St. Louis to teach in public schools down there. And I was just totally engulfed in my work and I gained it all back and more. When I first lost all that weight, I. Was dating quite a bit and had a couple of serious relationships back then. I was still looking for that partner, but emotionally just wasn't mature enough in my early 20s. And then depression that I fell into gaining the weight back and my romantic life was non-existent until I lost the weight again.
2: Jordan, your romantic life was non-existent because you were making efforts to try and meet women, but not being successful or because you withdrew for making those efforts?
3: Withdrew. I gained all the weight back. And I just, my confidence was at an all time low and I didn't feel worthy. I I didn't feel like I was myself.
2: And how long did that period last of feeling unworthy? Six, seven years. So that's a long time. Did you think to maybe try and date regardless, not have to wait to lose the weight, but bring yourself into the dating world and see what happens? Or you didn't even want to take that risk?
3: It's not even that I didn't want to take that risk is that I just knew that I wasn't going to find the right partner in the state that I was in. I felt like I was a prisoner in my own body, you know, because my whole childhood, I was always bigger side so to get used to that. And there were coping things that I would deal with. By being funny growing up, I was the bigger guy, so I was being funny. And then when I lost the weight and I got down to a very healthy weight, I got a tension that I had never gotten before. There was no effort on my part because I wasn't myself. I didn't feel like myself.
1: You mentioned depression and you said you felt like you were a prisoner in your own body, but what about a prisoner in your own mind? What was going on there?
3: Yeah. Yeah. I was a prisoner in my own body and my own mind. I never acknowledged the fact that I was depressed. I gained 200 pounds in that time period. I can only chalk that up to depression.
1: But at the time, you didn't make the connection between the eating behavior and the mood, how you were sort of self-medicating with food.
3: No, no, I didn't.
1: So what made you start again? Something must have affected your mood. Do you remember what it was?
3: I was dating someone and we had broken up after almost a year or so. I'm not sure if that's pinpointed it or if it was partly that I was overworking myself. I felt a responsibility to have a successful career and be seen as successful amongst my brothers and in my
2: family. When did you start to realize that maybe there was depression going on, that maybe the link between the weight gain and mood was a really strong one?
3: The program that I was teaching through down in St. Louis, there was a big group of us that started at the same time, all around the same age. It was almost like being in college again. It's a two-year commitment. So for those first two years, you kind of had a family down there. And then third year, more people left to go to med school and law school. And as the years went on, more and more people started to leave and I was alone. And I was coping with how much I was working with With eating. And it just started to spiral downward even more. And I I would say probably my fourth or fifth year down there, I just started to feel like there was just no way that anybody could get themselves to lose 150 pounds twice in their life.
1: What was the motivation this last time to lose the weight? Because you did lose it recently right before you met the person that you married.
3: You know, when you're ready, you know, in August of 2020, when I started, I was fed up with the body I was in. I felt trapped. I couldn't do things with my body or my mind that I know that I'm capable of doing. And I was able to lose 145 pounds in eight months, like incredibly fast, because that's how disciplined I can be.
1: Did your ex wife? know about this struggle that you've had with confidence and depression and how the weight has played into that? In other words, she was sharing a lot with you in the beginning. Were you sharing some of your vulnerabilities with her?
3: Absolutely. That was one of the biggest attractions to her is is how hard I was working and how much weight I had lost. You know, I'll never forget when I first shared my before pictures with her and she was just in awe of what I was able to do. So she absolutely knew about both instances in 2009 and more recently in 2020.
1: But did you actually share with her, I have struggled in my life with depression?
3: I don't believe I said those exact words. I had told her a lot about my years in St. Louis, and I know that she knew of my struggles down there.
1: Jordan, tell us a little bit about what happened once your ex-wife moved in with you.
3: Yeah, so when she and her daughter moved in, Like I was on cloud nine. I have this instinct of just wanting to protect and care. Her ethnicity is Arab and she valued parts of it where the man is the provider, the man is the protector and everything like that. And I took that role on a hundred percent. At the same time, all the things that she had told me about her exes in the past, they are disrespectful to me. They don't help around the house. So I did the opposite. I was always helping around the house. I was putting forth a lot of effort to be that ideal husband that she had always looked for.
2: Jordan, you said in your letter that you want to look at what your contribution might have been to the marriage ending. You mentioned some things that she did that you didn't love, some history that she had that concerned you. Can you tell us perhaps some of the things that you think you personally might have contributed that might have been problematic? In the marriage,
3: yeah, there's no shortage of me self-reflecting and thinking about like, like that. That's just the way that I am. I'm like, wow, like what, what went wrong? When did it go wrong? Where did it go wrong? And I don't see the things that I did as um, as necessarily things that should abruptly end a marriage the way that it did.
1: How did it abruptly end?
3: It was kind of on course to end for a few months. I will say this, she grew more and more unstable.
1: What does that mean, she grew unstable? What did that look like?
3: Right before she moved in, she shared something with me that she hadn't shared before. And she said, in my late teens and early 20s, I had seen several doctors and those doctors recommended that I take medication for my anxiety and depression and she was living at home with her three brothers, her dad and her stepmother. And in that culture, he says it's very frowned upon to seek help through therapy, to seek medication. Her dad found her medication and made a big deal out of it and threw it away. Her anxiety and depression stems from being the person who found her mother deceased at 14 years old.
1: It was a suicide?
3: You know, that's interesting because when she worked up the courage to see a doctor again in February or March of this year, I was in the room with her and she had said things to the doctor that I'd never heard her say before. One of them was that she realized that her mom probably did commit suicide because of the abuse by the hands of her father for an entire year leading up to her mother's death. She remembered almost having to call police every week and the one night that her and her brother, next youngest brother was 10. And she described it to me as, as her being, you know, in a zombie-like state. But she had seen that tons and tons of times before. And she had, had a discussion with her brother. Should we call the police? Her dad was not in the house at the time. And they both agreed, no, no, she'll snap out of it. And she didn't snap out of it.
2: So you're saying that you saw her mental health take a bit of a slip at some point in the marriage. You knew that she had been to psychiatrist, that she had been on medication. Clearly there was a history of trauma as well. When you saw that change in her behavior or her mood, did you address it with her? Did you suggest she might need to see a psychiatrist again?
3: Yeah, I just kept seeing episodes happening more frequently and her taking her anger, frustration and stress out on myself and her daughter. And it just became more and more irrational and unreasonable. I did bring up to her like, hey, maybe you should seek help to see a therapist that she would get more angry at me whenever I would bring it up.
2: She refused to do that then?
3: Yeah. She told me in October, she said, I think there's something wrong with me. I think I need to see somebody. She said, you know, can you find a therapist for me? And I said, absolutely. I I spent a whole month trying to find the perfect therapist. I said, baby, you want a woman, right? So I was researching for women therapists where we lived. Well, I narrowed the search down to Muslim women therapists. She said, oh my God, that would be perfect. Someone might know what I've been through. I found someone finally And she started in late October. And oh my gosh, she never took it serious. She had four sessions. She went to three of them. She was late for two of them. But she always told me that she did feel a little bit better after she spoke with them. But she had it made up in her mind that it wasn't going to work.
1: Did she explore medication at all since her father had taken away her medication when she was younger, but
2: that seemed important. No, she didn't. Jordan, you were telling us about the incident that caused the end of the marriage. What was that incident? She actually
3: faked a positive COVID test to be able to get out of work. And because her daughter was also exposed to her COVID, using air quotes, she had to miss school as well. All three of us were at the same school, me being a teacher, her being assistant, and her daughter being in preschool. I stayed home with her daughter. And she was at school and she was texting me throughout the day. She said, I can't tell you guys how much I miss the two of you. I can't wait to get home. Our policies at at that school were if you are vaccinated, you only have to be out for five days. And since her daughter isn't vaccinated, she had to be out for 10 days. So I stayed home two days with her daughter. So this is the second day now where she didn't call until you know, almost an hour after school. So when she called, I answered and I said, what took you so long to get out of school? The intention was not to question her or anything like that. I was genuinely wondering, oh, was there a meeting after school? She had a very strong reaction to me saying that. And she said with expletives, how insecure, blah, blah, blah. And and I I was just so taken aback by what she was saying that I was just, "Why, why are you saying this? But she said, let me talk to my daughter. Let me talk to my daughter. And I said, I'll give her the phone. Just tell me, why are you so upset right now? Give the phone to my daughter. I said, I'll give her the phone in two minutes. Just tell me what's wrong. She hung up. She called the police. And she told the police officer that I wasn't giving the phone to her daughter fast enough. She called back again, and I did give her the phone, but it was already too late. So she arrived home. I didn't know at that time that she had called the police. And she ran in. You could just tell that there was th- this such a strong response. I know that she's very protective of her daughter. She had shown very, very strong signs of of protection over her daughter. And she attributes that to the loss of her mother and, and the irrational fear of her passing away and her daughter growing up without a mother as well.
1: Can you tell us what happened when she arrived?
3: She ran in. She picked up her daughter and... It was maybe within a minute or two, a police car arrived in the back of the the house. And I looked at her. I said, did you call the police? And she very proudly said, yes. I said, why did you call the police? She said, you weren't giving the phone to her fast enough. I was speechless. I went outside to speak with the police officer. And I gave him a little bit of a backstory that she had just started this new medication about six weeks prior to that. After the officer spoke with her as well, he brought me back out and nothing came of it. He just said, hey, one of you should leave the house to cool off. Well, she moved out. Her and her daughter moved out.
1: You're talking so much about her trauma. And what I'm hearing, Jordan, is your trauma. But you're not talking about your trauma. You're talking about her trauma. Every time we are trying to understand more about you, you go into an explanation for her trauma and what she experienced and why she might have acted in the way that she acted. I think that having the police called on you after all of the other trauma that had happened in this relationship is extremely traumatic, especially because you had been trying to help in the various ways that you knew how and you get the police called on you. How did you feel after the police officer left and how did you communicate that to her?
3: I felt numb like I had been for a while. And, you know, you're right, Lori. That's all that I ever did was make excuses for because I just... I kept on wanting to figure it out. I connected with her and felt her pain so much when she always talked about her experiences and her childhood. I always had this need to want to help her because I saw how much pain she was always in. And she directed that pain towards me and her daughter.
2: You get so oriented towards trying to understand the why of her, that you do not look at what's going on with you. And it's similar with the feelings you had about the weight loss and the weight gain. There wasn't an exploration of what was going on inside you, inside your own heart, with your own feelings. And you're very, very oriented towards the other people's feelings, but at the expense of looking at your own. And, you know,
3: I've done a tremendous amount of... Of thinking, and I was able to understand like where a lot of my trauma comes from. And one of her biggest things about me was that she said that I, I over communicate, I talk too much. And I told her at the beginning of our relationship that my childhood, with the way that my parents were, is the exact reason why I wanna talk about issues between her and I my entire life, even to this day. My parents live under the same household and they do not speak to each other.
1: Can you tell us a little bit more about what was going on for you growing up where you also had your own trauma?
3: Yeah, there's four boys and I'm the second to youngest. My youngest brother has Down syndrome and he is the absolute, uh the love of my life. And he always will be. He's the center of all of our universe. He is the reason that my mom and dad stayed together. I give a lot of credit to my parents for coming together, as ironic as those words are, because they were together in the house physically. I can count on one hand, the amount of days that I've seen my mother and father speak to each other. The only positive memory that I have is I was nine years old and It was at a wedding, and I remember looking over and seeing my mom and dad slow dancing together, and I remember that being so weird to see.
1: You're tearing up as you describe that. Can you talk a little bit more about what it felt like to see them together like that?
3: Over the years, I've actually asked myself, was that even real? Or did I make that up in my head because I wanted to see it so much, you know?
1: So the tears just now were feeling what?
3: That I feel like I never saw the love that I should have seen between my mom and dad, that I, I saw them in movies growing up. I saw them in some of my friends' parents, and I just saw tension and hostility.
1: So the tears were sadness and loss.
2: hmm
3: Absolutely, yeah.
2: The tears were also for you as a nine-year-old boy who was aware that there's all this tension and distance between his parents and sees one brief tender moment and the way you characterize it now was it was weird but i think probably at nine it was weird on the one hand to see your parents embrace in that way when you're not used to seeing it but there must have been something that felt really good about it maybe even hopeful
3: without a doubt. You hit it on the head. I feel like that moment in a lot of ways really transformed me into hopeless romantic. I, you know, my brothers would make fun of me, you know, in high school because I, you know, the girlfriend that I had in high school, I, I was just so over the top with how romantic and and how thoughtful I was towards her because I, I feel like I was maybe trying to make up for what I didn't see my entire life. And I still am to this day.
1: You characterized in your letter the relationship with your parents as abusive and toxic. Can you tell us what you meant by that?
3: Individually, my mother and father are two of the best people I've ever met in my life. How supportive they are of all of us boys. They're just tremendous. But to each other, it's extremely toxic to this day.
1: What did it look like between them when you say between them it was toxic and abusive?
3: I'll go back to early childhood first. My two older brothers were superstar athletes, had a lot of success, and they spent a lot of time with my dad. And I feel like I went on a different path because when my two older brothers were spending time with my dad, I spent time with my mom. So my brothers were wrestling, playing football, and my mom... You know, I took tap dancing class and was auditioning for commercials because I wanted to be in plays and movies. And it was just very different from my two older brothers who I love and look up to so much. But I felt there was already that division between my two older brothers with my dad. And then it was me with my mom that has sprinkled into our adulthood. I've always been the middle ground with my family. And I've always been the one that has tried to help the situation. And it always seemed to not work because there's 45 years of disdain and and tension.
1: So you were trying to kind of save their marriage as the nine-year-old who saw them embrace, and that was the hope. But tell us what you actually saw between them. What you're describing is a lot of distance. They slept in separate rooms. They didn't really talk with each other. Is that what you're referring to or is there more?
3: How they communicate to each other non-verbally. So my mom writes notes to him and I was home in May when I was going through what I was going through and I looked down at my dad's area or whatever and he has one of the notes sitting on the desk and it just capital letters and you could tell it was scribbled really hard the word clown and that made me so angry. It's like... Why do you have to be like that towards each other, you know?
1: So you didn't see them screaming at each other. From a very young age, you saw them writing notes to each other.
3: Total silent treatment.
1: You never saw your parents speak to each other. So what would happen at mealtime? They would speak only to the kids, but you never saw them interact with each other.
3: There was a lot of fighting through us. Jordan, tell your mom this. Jordan, tell your dad this. I want to say you know I was saved by my age because I feel like my two older brothers got the worst part of the deal.
2: I'm hearing you describe your childhood. And again, the focus is significantly on what was happening with your brother, with your mom, with your dad, between the two of them. And I'm not hearing enough about you. And I want to ask you something. You're describing you have two older brothers who were your dad's boys in a way because he was involved in their athletics and training them, they hung out with him. And then the two younger brothers, there's you and there's your younger brother who has Down syndrome, who are not hanging out with dad, who are not the athletic ones. And I'm curious about how that felt for you to be one of these four boys where this seems to be some kind of division down the middle there, that the two older boys are the athletic stars with dad and the two younger boys are staying home with mom. And I'd like to know whether you felt that division and how that felt for you.
3: Yeah, that's spot on. That's, That's exactly how I felt. I never felt validated by my dad. You know, we've gotten so much closer over the years, but that's because I overcompensated with not being a successful athlete with being a successful teacher and coach where I wanted to impress him that way. I didn't play football as early, as young as my two older brothers. I I waited until middle school and I never came close as good as those two were. I mean, they were all state athletes. I even played football in college for two years. I was half decent myself and I never felt like I got that approval from my dad.
1: Did you feel that you were getting validated from your mom for your? Talent in theater and the things that were interesting to you?
3: Oh yeah. You know, because she's the one that got me into that stuff and I had an interest in it and she did everything she could to do that for me.
2: Sounds like something that was very meaningful and special to you, that you really enjoyed, that you've brought out perhaps the best of you, that you felt confident at and good at. So we'd like to hear just a little bit about how the career part of it went.
3: It was short lived in my elementary years where I auditioned for a couple of commercials. And then at one of the auditions, I was spotted by a, like a talent agent to to join this like acting modeling school. And it was very ex- expensive to do that for a summer. And I do recall my dad not being in support of it because of how much money it costs. And my mom went ahead with it and supporting me through that. And, and then after that, I did plays in middle school and stuff. But as I got older, I just felt more pressure to play football. And I kind of let that dream die because I, I just felt like with my last name in the city that I grew up in, I got to play football.
2: It's unfortunate in the sense that it sounds like you had a lot of joy and that you had to give up this joy in middle school because of the pressures to play football and be yet another one of the successful family football players, and that you gave up. Something that was very valuable for you to do then.
3: Yeah, I feel like maybe a little piece of my childhood died.
1: I want to go back to where things ended with your marriage. So that happened a few months ago. Are you both teaching at the same school? And what has happened for you since then as you're trying to make sense of your role in the marriage?
3: She was not hired back, if you will, but she has essentially ghosted me. She would always speak of how almost boastfully that she would talk to a man for two, three months and ghost him. And she has essentially done that to me.
1: There's this saying, we marry our unfinished business. And for you, as the little boy who wanted to save his parents' marriage, who wanted things to work out for them, who wanted them to have... Love and closeness and connection, and took on this role of, I need to save this. And then you have, from her perspective, someone who told you quite clearly, I want someone to take care of me. I didn't have that. I wasn't protected by my father. And my mother died by suicide because of my father's abuse, and we felt helpless, and he threw away my medication. I need. As she said early on to you, she had daddy issues. I need someone to take care of me. So, in a way, you are a perfect dysfunctional match because the puzzle pieces fit together again in not a healthy way. You want to save someone. She wants to be saved. Those are your childhood wounds. And boom, you found each other. And oh, that feels so delicious and good. Until you start to realize maybe this isn't going to be the way. To heal my childhood wounds. In fact, maybe this is going to throw salt on my childhood wounds and re-traumatize me again. And I think that's the realization that you had when you wrote to us that I want to look in the mirror, you said, because I don't want to bring my needs as a child to the expectations of what my partner can or can't do for me. I want to come whole and as an adult, as someone who has these wounds, but who can work through them. And so I wonder, have you started going to therapy? Have you tried talking to somebody about these unprocessed feelings from childhood that still live very, very deeply inside of you?
3: Yeah, I attempted a couple of years ago, both in person, one session and just didn't get good vibes. And then virtually with another a couple of years ago and didn't like that. But then more recently, this spring, I, I did and went a handful of times and stopped going.
1: Can I ask why you stopped?
3: I honestly don't know the answer to that. One of my brothers is living out of the country right now. I had the opportunity to, to just live with him you know for a while and and really kind of remove myself from the situation and work on myself i felt like that was a good opportunity
1: i have a theory and my theory is this when you're in therapy the focus is on you and it's on your feelings and it's on your experience and most of what you've told us today has been about how other people feel and many of the times that we try to bring it back to you you took us somewhere else And I think that's because it's hard for you to stay there. That you have this idea that if you feel uncomfortable, if you feel the pain of that little boy, that it's going to be overwhelming the way it truly was when you were younger. You couldn't let yourself go there because it would be too painful. You didn't have the support then. You didn't have anyone to go to. You didn't have anyone to comfort you or to help you make sense of what was going on and how unsafe it feels when you're younger to see parents who can't communicate with each other, who are hostile toward each other, to see this division and to see other families and say, I don't understand this. And also you love your brother with Down syndrome, your younger brother so much. But when there is a child in the family who has these challenges it takes up a lot of emotional space in the family. So sometimes the other kids who seem just fine, they don't get a lot of attention in that way because everybody's so focused and you're nodding. So I can see that was the experience. That of course, your younger brother's going to get a lot of attention because he had more needs in some ways. But that doesn't mean that the other three of you didn't have a lot of needs too that may not have been as visible as your younger brother's needs. And so there's a lot of pain around that, that felt unbearable as a child. But now you go to therapy and the focus is going to be on you. And maybe that feels a little much like, oh, I don't deserve or I can't handle what might come up. And I want to suggest along with this theory that if you start to feel that in therapy, That you can say to the therapist, wow, I'm feeling really overwhelmed right now. Can we slow down? And so I want to ask you right now, what has it been like for you today talking with us when we've sometimes interrupted you, when you've gone off to other places, when we've tried to direct you back to yourself, when we've asked you to sit a little bit in some of your own feelings? How has that felt to you? What has that been like?
3: It's... Hard to describe. I I don't I don't know.
1: That's the numbness that I think you were describing before. Numbness isn't the absence of feelings. Numbness is a sense of being overwhelmed by too many feelings. And I think I can tell from your face and your body language that you're having so many feelings right now. And I just want you to be aware of that. It's not that you don't feel, it's that you feel a lot. And it's going to be really helpful for you to become acquainted with what you are
2: feeling hmm You're right. Jordan, that's important, and for multiple reasons. One of them is you wrote to us because you're interested in having a better relationship next time. You describe yourself as a romantic, and you are very much a romantic, but you have a very specific version of that in your head, and it's related to your childhood. In your childhood, you had a brother with special needs, You had two parents with special needs, as it were, because they had such a conflictual marriage. And you were very occupied with understanding what's going on with everyone around you, trying to help them as much as possible. And that is the romance that you sought out, the rescue, the damsel in distress who came out of this bad childhood bad marriage, was in a difficult situation, had a daughter, needed to get married right away. Turned out there were all these red flags and you were in that role of, I will rescue her. And that will be the most romantic thing of all. Because if I can rescue her and rescue her means somehow making her traumas go away or not impact her in the present so she can be more present with me and we can live this love story that I didn't see in my parents, but I know is out there because I've done enough theater to know that love stories like that are out there. And that's what you gravitate toward. You feel much more comfortable rescuing than you do needing rescue. And you need rescue. You wrote to us for that reason. You have all these needs and feelings and history that you have a hard time getting in touch with. You get flooded, and then you get numb, and you're gonna have a very hard time setting limits and maintaining them, stating your needs, setting expectations, doing all the thing you would need to do in another relationship. And you are more likely to go for another rescue in which your needs and feelings can be put aside in the service of others. But you were deprived of that attention in your childhood. It wasn't something that you didn't need. It's something you didn't get. And you're going to prevent yourself from getting it now unless you can change that. And within your formulation of a romantic, there has to be one in which that version of the romantic needs as well. Yeah.
3: Yeah. That really resonates with me a lot. You're right. (laughs) It's always easier for me to, you know, to help. Someone, like you said, the damsel in distress, that that attraction to that, to wanting to make someone else's life better and help someone else.
1: And when you start to heal this, maybe your definition of romance won't be that anybody needs to get rescued, that you both have needs and wants and you can support each other, which is different from rescuing someone. So... You want to be in a mutually supportive relationship and that can become your new definition of romance.
3: Yeah, that's what I want. I want to find somebody that I'll feel like they have my back and and that they will support me as much as I'm willing to support
1: them. So Jordan, we have some advice for you and we have five tasks that we'd like you to do this week. And that might sound like a lot, but they're all very connected and interrelated. So I'm going to start with the first one. And the first one has to do with your brothers. And it's that all of you grew up in the same household, but like many siblings had different experiences of growing up in the same household. And nobody talked about it because in your household, your parents weren't even talking to each other. So you didn't have a lot of modeling for how to talk about what was going on and the effect that this was having on all of you. And it sounds like you and your brothers have become much closer over the last few years. And one of your brothers even invited you to go stay with him after the marriage split up. And so I think it's a good time right now to have an opening for all of you to be able to communicate. With each other differently. And you can say to your brothers, I really appreciate how supportive you've been as I've gone through this divorce. And one of the things that I'm realizing is that there might be a connection between how we grew up and the way that we behave in our relationships. And I think it would be really helpful if we could talk with each other more openly about what it was like to grow up the way that we did and really support each other around that. And I want to tell you a little bit about what it was like for me. Is that okay if I do that? And just start there and see what happens when you open up to your brothers, and maybe they'll open up to you too, so that there isn't this silence around what it was like to grow up in this very aggressively silent household, meaning there was all of this aggression in notes and in body language, but it was silent, which makes it all the more confusing. So that's the first task. We want you to start that conversation with your brothers.
2: Here's the second task, Jordan. You said earlier that you have a problematic relationship with food. And it sounds like you use food to soothe your feelings. And one of the things we'd like you to do this week is to find a local Overeaters Anonymous group, support group that you can join because we think it would be really useful for you to talk about to people who have similar experience and who are very understanding that relationship with food and how it impacts you and to find alternative coping mechanisms to deal with your feelings rather than eating, would also give you the support we think you need. So we'd like you to do that this week. Some of these groups might be virtual, some might be in person, see what's going on in your area and find one.
1: The next thing we'd like you to do is we were really struck by how much research you put in to finding the perfect therapist for your wife at the time. You did all this research. She wanted a woman. She wanted someone who was Muslim. She wanted something very specific. And you said you researched for weeks trying to find the right therapist for her. We want you to do that for yourself, but not for weeks, this week. Maybe it's the person you have already seen Or maybe you want to look into seeing someone else, but we want you to spend the time and the effort that you put into finding a therapist for someone else to finding the right therapist for you and then make the appointment. So here's the fourth task. You said that you've been ghosted at this point and you really don't have any way to process with her what happened in this marriage. And so we want you to do some processing. You'll do some through therapy. You'll do some through these other tasks. We want you to do some tangible processing yourself. And sometimes when we write things down, we get a lot of clarity. And what we'd like you to do here is write down three moments in the marriage where you worked so hard to help her, but you needed help and you didn't help yourself. If you could do this over, how would you in those three moments help yourself knowing what you know now? We'd like you to be very specific about, I would do this because I was so focused on her that I didn't think about the help that I needed in that moment, but here's what I would do now to help myself. It might be, I would set this boundary or I would go take a walk or I would take some breaths or I would talk to somebody about it. I would say this to her instead. I would try less hard to regulate her feelings and I would work harder to regulate mine. Could be any of those or anything you come up with. And then with that, we'd like you to write down why you're relieved not to be in that situation anymore and why you're excited about using whatever it is that you would be doing to help yourself in your next relationship so that it's a healthier one.
2: One last piece of advice, Jordan. We were really struck by how bright you became. And I mean bright as in light coming from you when you spoke about acting and performing. We think that's a big part of you, that that's an essential part of your identity that has not gotten any expression since perhaps middle school or whenever that was that you stopped and transitioned to football. And when something gives you joy in life, it has to be a thing that you can express on a regular basis because it's a part of you. So we'd like you to find some way to do that where you are. It can be improv. It can be theater. It can be a class. It can be anything. But we'd like you to find something, even if it's an hour a week, that you can join. It will bring you around people who you'll connect with for that reason. And we'd like to see that back in your life. So Jordan, how does all that sound to you?
3: You know, you said that five tests seems like a lot, but those are all perfect for me to get started and get the ball rolling. You might think that I'm most excited about the theater, the acting part, which, which I am, but um, I'm most excited to, to, to talk to my brothers about all
1: this. Well, we look forward to hearing how your week goes with these five tasks. We're very excited for you to try them.
3: I'm excited too.
2: We look forward to hearing back from you.
3: Thank you so much, you guys.
2: This habit Jordan has, and a lot of people have, of defaulting to the other person's feelings and needs in lieu of their own is a difficult habit to break. So I hope he can work on it because right now it happens very automatically. We ask him about his feelings, he goes to explain what's going on with the other person. I think he understood the principle, which is great. It's going to take mindfulness on his part to catch himself
1: yeah and that pattern has even seeped into his definition of romance that for him the romantic thing is i will save somebody else because for him love meant something very specific it was if i could help my parents reconnect that would be how i would show my love and so his idea of love is about taking care of other people but he doesn't understand that it needs to be reciprocal that people need to support him just as much as he supports them. And that it's not about saving someone, it's about supporting someone. And I don't think he knows the difference yet. He was trying to save this person who had so much trauma that she had not worked out and was bringing into the relationship in all kinds of really destructive ways. So I hope that these tasks will start to set him on a path where he starts to recognize those differences.
2: And I think it would also help him to really practice identifying his feelings and naming them because right now he gets flooded, he gets numb, he really has a hard time knowing what he's feeling. So I hope going to the support group and I hope doing the other things we ask him to do will help him to start differentiate and identify when he's having strong feelings, to identify them, to talk about them, to get validation for them. That would be really great for him if he could do that as well.
1: And I love that he said of all the tasks that we probably assumed that it was the theater one that he would enjoy the most, but he was actually most looking forward to talking to his brothers. And that gave me so much hope that he really wants to start having these conversations and opening up. So I'm really excited to see how this week goes for him.
2: You're listening to Dear Therapists. We'll be back after a short break.
4: It's got standard third row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
1: So, Guy, we heard back from Jordan and let's hear how his week went.
5: The first task was to to speak with my brothers. This was the task I was most excited for. And unfortunately, this is the task that I wasn't able to do, mainly because I'm not with both of them right now. And I would like to do this in person with them. I'm telling myself that, but maybe I'm Reluctant to have that very, very important talk with them. The second task being to find a Overeaters Anonymous meeting. That was a success. I was able to find that there are several meetings that are offered in my city. They have phone-in meetings, and I still may may do that, but there are several meetings throughout the week in the, in the city that I live in, and that, that'll be very, very helpful. Uh, the third task was to put in that amount of time to find myself a therapist. That same amount of time that I put in for somebody else, I did decide to go back to the therapist that I have gone to in the past. I feel like just because I did that, you know, onboarding with them, or just and, and definitely gave that therapist all the information about me. I, I want to give her a shot again. So I have scheduled... A virtual uh, appointment Thursday evening and that is going to be very beneficial task number four was to write down three moments in the marriage where the focus and all my energy was on her and I didn't care for myself it was tough to relive some of those moments but again it was very beneficial and the fact that I do know what I would do differently this time first and foremost Taking care of my body, not overeating, not going to food when I felt that abuse and also going to the gym, you know, just just taking care of my body in general that would help take care of my mind, which would help take care of my everyday life. I think in general, though, during those moments would be just to walk away, give myself space. I needed space too. That is a big revelation for me is that I needed to walk away to give myself space. So not trying to force being in the moment. Just it's okay to step away for a while and allow her to be calm. And then lastly, biggest news is finding that outlet that performance outlet whether it's stand-up co- comedy or or whether it's joining a community play. I reached out to a very very old close friend of mine that does theater in the city that I live and we are meeting the day that I get back in town. It was therapeutic just to speak with her about theater over the phone. Very, very excited about that. And yeah, I know that there's things that I still need to do and still need to work on and accomplish. and I look forward to doing that. Thank you.
2: We gave Jordan a lot to do, and I think he did some of it, and he struggled with some of it. And one of the first things we asked him to do was speak to his brothers. He did mention towards the end of our session with him that he's with one of his brothers now, staying with him. It's possible he wanted to wait to be in person with both of his brothers, but it seems to me that he could have had that conversation. That's a conversation he might be avoiding.
1: Yeah, and I like that he had some insight into the fact that he might be avoiding that. He said, "You know, I'm not really sure whether I'm just saying that I need to be in person with them or whether I'm really avoiding something." So I'm glad that he's really considering that because he does tend to avoid things and I'm glad he's starting to recognize that so that he can get out of that pattern. And I think something similar happened with the OA meeting. He said he had success with that. So I thought that he was going to say that he had been to a meeting. He said that he hasn't been to a meeting yet, but he is going to attend. So I really hope that he does go ahead and attend the meeting. It sounded like he put a lot of effort into researching that. So I think that he is motivated. I just think it's kind of getting over the hump of doing the thing that trips him up. So let's hope that he does go soon to one of those meetings. I think it would be really beneficial for him.
2: I agree with you. And I think another place he didn't quite do enough work was with the therapist. We had said to him, wow, you spent so much time researching a therapist for your wife. You really went to town and find the right person for her. Spend that same amount of time finding the right person for you. And I'm glad he decided he's going back to his previous therapist if he's comfortable there. But I do think he wasn't putting in the work to find the right person for himself as much as he did for his wife.
1: Yeah, it seems like he put so much effort into her healing and he hasn't put as much effort into his own. I'm really glad that he decided to go back to therapy. I just hope that as he goes back to therapy, that he really sits with himself and says, is this the right match for me? And if it's not, if he could discuss that with his therapist and even have that conversation to find out why is this not feeling right for me? Maybe it's the therapist. Maybe it's not but it would be great for him to really be able to have that conversation and say, I'm not sure if I'm getting my needs met. That would be such an important moment for him.
2: I agree. And the task we gave him about going back to three difficult moments in his marriage and rewriting them in the sense of what he would do differently. Again, I think there was avoidance there. He went to higher level ideas of walk away or take care of myself in terms of my gym and my eating. But that's different than knowing what to do in the moment, standing up for yourself. And I was hoping that he would find moments that he could literally revisit that specific moment. What do you say? That I'm not sure he's figured out how to do yet.
1: Yeah. Well, if Jordan is listening to this, I hope what he'll do is he'll revisit some of those really, really difficult moments. And maybe they're just too traumatic for him to revisit quite yet. But when he gets there, when he feels comfortable, I hope that he'll revisit some of those moments that he shared with us in the session and say, if I could redo that moment, here's what I would do now, knowing what I know now about Exactly what he said, I need space too. Now, he was talking about walking away, but he needed to take up space because she was taking up all the space. So I hope he can look at those specific moments that he talked about with us and say, here's what I would do differently if I were to take up space too in that relationship.
2: Exactly, and even articulate specifically, this is what I would say to her in that moment. Really put yourself there and articulate the sentences.
1: Yeah, and I was really excited though about, his excitement with getting back in touch with the creative side of himself. He really did everything with that task where he reached out to the friend. They talked about theater. They have a meeting set up. They're going to talk about local opportunities. She's going to help kind of guide him. And I think that support is really important that you have someone who really wants to encourage your passion. And so here he has someone who says, oh, wow, I really want to help you find a way to express this part of yourself that's really
2: important to you. In general, I was thinking about comfort zones with Jordan. And the idea that we try to stay within our comfort zone. But I want people to understand we might be comfortable with very specific kinds of discomfort. But I think it's when you're trying to stretch that zone, leaning into the kinds of conversations like with your brothers or how the redo with your ex-wife that you really haven't had before. I hope, Jordan, if you're listening, you can try and expand your comfort zone. Go to the things that make you uncomfortable you're not used to. And that's where the real growth can be for you.
1: And I think that's really hard to do, which is why I think that Jordan was so brave to reach out to us to say, I want to change. I want things to be different and to share with us all of the things that he did share with us. I really commend him for that. And I'm so excited to see what he can do when he really does stretch himself in the way that you described.
2: So do I, because this is someone who's been through a lot. He's actually a strong person. He has a lot of determination. He has a lot of insight and self-reflection. So I really think he'll be able to convert those going forward and to challenge himself because I think he has a ton of potential.
1: You know, when we have sessions with people, we really get to know them quite well in a short amount of time. And I got the sense of Jordan as this incredibly loving person. And what I want for him is I want him to be in a loving relationship where it's reciprocal and he gets back what he gives. And so I hope that if he's listening to this, he understands that the work that we gave him is all in the service of helping him to get to a place where he can find that.
2: Next week, we're checking in with Jennifer, who caught her fiance flirting with an ex-girlfriend on Instagram to hear how she's doing one year later.
1: I trust him, we're in a good place. I'd be lying if I said I'm 100% trusting, but we have set ourselves on a good path with the therapy and I believe we have the communication tools through that to keep us solid. If you're enjoying our podcast, don't forget to subscribe for free so that you don't miss any episodes. And please help support Dear therapists by telling your friends about it and leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. Your reviews really help people to find the show.
2: If you have a dilemma you'd like to discuss with us, email us at laurieandguy at iheartmedia.com. Our executive producer is Noel Brown. We're produced and edited by Josh Fisher. Additional editing support by Helena Rosen, John Washington, and Zachary Fisher. Our interns are Ben Bernstein, Emily Gutierrez, and Silver Lifton. And special thanks to our podcast fairy godmother, Katie Curick. We can't wait to see you at our next session. Dear Therapist is a production of iHeartRadio.
1: Fish food. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you. And how you manage them can make all the difference.